Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Robert Yeager and the Tao Foundation. Is there anybody out there tonight who's willing to come forward and help me stop what Obama and Hillary are fixing to do? It's going to be in the form of a rice-sized chip implanted in your arm. And they're going to tell you you won't need a wallet anymore. And where does rice even come from? I think we know. Communasia. Call into the Dr. Tammy Wolf Show and say you're with me. We've got Greg from Oswego on the line. Go ahead, Greg. Oh, hello. Is this the front desk? I'm up in room 730, and there's a problem with a mini refrigerator. Is it that magnets won't stick to it? Has anybody else noticed that magnets don't work anymore? It's because they're banned under Sharia law. The Muslims think magnets are wicked, so liberals are phasing them out. Wake up, America! Speaking of that, could I set up a wake-up call? Wake-up call? You want a wake-up call? Merrick Garland can talk to bees. How's that for a wake-up call? You got a Supreme Court nominee, and insects know more about what he thinks than we do. Giselle, on line four, you're howling coast-to-coast with Dr. Tammy Wolf. No, it's actually still me. There seems to be some noise outside my room, and I really need a good night's sleep. (laughs) Good luck getting one, buddy. You got the petty thieves, the panhandlers, the the homeless, the hookers, the Prozac takers, the, the pickpockets. I'm sorry, I just, I love this country so much. And it hurts so bad to see what she's become. Is there an ice machine anywhere? Not on your floor. You have to go down to the sixth floor and it's behind the elevators. Thank you for calling Dr. Tammy Wolf. Here's the show about conservative talk radio. And now he used to have to empty Rush Limbaugh's spit cup, Colin McEnroe. Those were the days. Yeah, I did work for a long time in commercial talk radio. And so when I did that, um, I used to, in my car uh, or other off hours, I would listen to public radio. And so I kind of understood both worlds a little bit. I heard, yeah, yeah, ambiently, I heard what Rush Limbaugh was talking about, and, and I heard what other people were talking about. And then I listened to public radio. Now that I work in public radio, I listen to public radio. And I suddenly realized there's this whole narrative. There's a whole conversation going on out there. It's not like Dr. Tammy Wolf, not necessarily, but there's a, a lot of things that just get said on, on talk radio all the time, on conservative talk radio. And I'm guessing an awful lot of public radio listeners are like me. They, they just don't listen. They don't know what's happening. Um, and there's some very smart people working on uh, conservative talk radio. Rush Limbaugh, I promise you, is one of the smartest men you're ever going to hear. You may not agree with him, but that guy is very smart. Uh, I was just listening to, listening to him explain Nate Silver to his audience uh, on my way over here. And he was doing a really good job because Rush's mind likes to crunch up stuff like that. But, you know, I think most of you have sort of a general sense of what you think, anyway, talk radio uh, sounds like uh, in, in America. So um, we're going to play a little clip. This is a, a Fox personality uh, named Todd Starnes. He's a guest on a show. I think the host is named Jamie Allman. It's in uh, St. Louis. Uh, but just to sort of get, kind of get you uh, in the conservative talk radio mood before I introduce uh, our, our main guest here, um, here's kind of what it sounds like on an average day. There's really something disturbing when you see illegals and their supporters waving Mexican flags on American soil while beating the crap out of American citizens. Uh, there's a child in Southern California who was holding up a sign that I, I think spoke volumes. It said, Make America Mexico Again. And I think that that's what this is really all about. You know, there is a time, Jamie, in this country when if you had 12 million people coming across your border, that was called an invasion. You went to war over stuff like that. 
Uh, and now, instead, the Obama administration is handing everybody free health care, food stamps, and a voter registration card. So maybe that sounds a little bit like boilerplate talk radio to you. There's a lot of other stuff that's considerably more colorful and innovative. We want to talk about it all. Uh, and to guide us through this, Michael Harrison is here, radio industry trade journalist, uh, as well as founder and publisher of Talkers Magazine uh, on the web at www.talkers.com. A guy who's done a little talk radio uh, himself, even in this market uh, in the past. Uh, Michael, good to talk to you again. Great to be with you again, Colin. So set the stage for us a little bit. This uh, this medium, in some ways, it's an old one. There used to be people like Joe Pine and Morton Downey Jr. and stuff. But in some ways, it's a pretty young one. And usually the explanation is it arose at least partly out of a change in the law, a change in FCC regs, uh, really, under Ronald Reagan. Well, uh, the uh, Fairness Doctrine uh, really put a uh, freeze on political talk from any side of the spectrum. Uh, There was once a time when most talk radio was liberal back in the 70s, the 60s, into the early 80s. So there's nothing written in stone that talk radio that's opinionated has to be conservative. But when the Fairness Doctrine was tossed out, uh, the Fairness Doctrine, of course, sounds like it's a great idea because it gives every side a chance to be heard. But because it's very vague as to what constitutes a side and how many sides does a side have and... uh, you know, uh, what are the penalties for breaking the fairness doctrine and who's in charge? Uh, most radio stations chose, chose during the days of the fairness doctrine to just avoid political controversy completely rather than get into all of that stuff. And most talk radio was recipes, interviews with people who had claimed to go to Venus, um, women calling in um, uh, sex shows to talk about their intimate experiences, all kinds of stuff like that. And you didn't really hear partisan opinionated, controversial discussion. When the Fairness Doctrine was tossed out uh, for being unconstitutional and an infringement on the First Amendment, which I believe it was, uh, and I'm not a partisan, I'm just for free speech, um, that's when you had it gave rise to uh, Rush Limbaugh and a number of conservatives who filled a vacuum that many liberals and moderates, uh, that, that many conservatives felt existed in the media that what they believe was dominated by liberals and moderates. And, and I think another phenomenon, Michael, was that, that the AM spectrum was sitting there waiting to be used in some new way. Musical programming, which, you know, had been a staple of AM radio during the era of its dominance, when it was the only game in town, was migrating over to FM where it sounded better. It had migrated over to FM where mm-hmm. it sounded better. So there was also this big question mark. What do we do with all this bandwidth? Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, what, what Chris Christopherson wrote the song, Janis Joplin, freedom's just another word for nothing left to lose. Uh, there was nothing left to lose. So, all right, let's try talk. Another factor besides the Fairness Doctrine and the uh, the music issue with music migrating to FM was that the post-war baby boomers who grew up with rock and roll and grew up with music radio um, also grew up with AM radio, mm-hmm. and they knew how to use it. They, they, they were not like the new generations that don't really know what AM radio is. And as they were coming of age in the late 80s into the early 90s, they started becoming interested in such things as their mortgage, their taxes, uh, the school system, crime, uh, the environment. Uh, they they were thinking about more adult, serious things. And um, with the emergence on AM radio, a band that they knew, of pop star talk show hosts. We're not talking about dry public affairs radio. We're talking about people that were funny, people that were dynamic, uh, kind of sensational. Uh, It just kept rock and roll going. 
only without the music. And uh, that's a major part of why the Moon and the Stars lined up for talk radio to have this massive growth. We call it the modern era that came out of the late 80s and uh, to this day is still going strong. It's such a great point, Michael, about um, knowing how to use that that band. I mean, it sounds silly how to use AM, but I had an experience. I was doing, uh, as you know, kind of left of center talk radio on WTIC and finding it a bit of a struggle. And I, I gave a speech one day in Litchfield uh, and some people came up afterwards and said, wow, you're really good. You, you have a, a radio show. I'd like to listen to your radio show. Where is it? And I said, well, it's on WTIC. And they, these are a whole bunch of people, kind of literal people with Volvos um, and uh, like really good Volvos, too. And so um, <laughs> They said, well, where, where is that? I don't know about that. And I said, well, it's a 1080 AM. And they get this funny look on their faces. And more than one of them said to me, I don't think my car has AM, mm-hmm. uh, which mm-hmm. obviously their car does. But to your point, the, the, you know, John Edwards said there were two Americas. Uh, I think he's right, but it might be AM and FM. <laughs> there's, there's like, <laughs> That's an interesting way to put it. Yeah, there's like people who don't even know that they have AM radio. That is, and, and if they do, they, they wrinkle their noses. There can't be anything good over there. Mm-hmm. And AM is beleaguered by the modern technology of just the environment. I mean, the environment is so full of radio frequencies from uh, microwaves and from uh, Wi-Fi and from so many electronic devices that just permeate the culture these create static that makes AM reception increasingly difficult to enjoy when uh, we are used to, we're trained to a more high-fidelity environment when we listen to music or talk. So there was one guy who came along who we've already alluded to him once or twice uh, who could just play this thing, like, like Yo-Yo Ma playing a cello. Here he is. During the break, I was watching on CNN. They have three women there discussing how offended they are uh, that Trump said that Hillary always plays the women card. And I got, can you, Mr. Sturvey, can you see three men on TV discussing how offended they are that some female candidate had said something about men or this? It just, it just, it just doesn't happen. Here we have three women up there going on and on and on about how offended they were that Trump accused Hillary of playing the woman, which she does. She plays the woman. She plays whatever card she's got. She played victim card. You name it. All right. So that's Rush Limbaugh. Just not even any special Rush Limbaugh, just Rush being Rush. So uh, Michael Harrison, um, I mean, no guests. He doesn't need guests. It's just him. He just talks. He doesn't take many calls. He'll take some calls. He's maybe a few more calls. But somehow or other, he really understood how this thing was going to work in a way that, at least at that moment, nobody else did. And first question I have, is it still Rush and everybody else, or have some of the other pretenders to the throne kind of caught up with him a bit? It's no more Rush and everybody else than rock and roll was Elvis Presley and everybody else, or the Beatles and everybody else. Rush is the big star. He was the, he was the main catalyst that... Um, much grew around, but hardly the only player. And, um, you know, when you hear people say Rush Limbaugh saved AM radio, I mean, that's a hyper, that's, you know, hyperbolic. There's a degree of truth to it. But now there are great talents that emerged all over the country, not to mention programmers, not to mention brave station owners and operators. This is a fully developed, uh, maturing scene in which he is a major player, deserves tremendous credit, but no, it is, it is, it is not 
just Rush Limbaugh. That is not a fair statement. We're talking to Michael Harrison. He's a radio industry expert. Talkers Magazine is the magazine everybody in this business reads. Uh, You can see it on the web at talkers.com. He's the founder and publisher of it. So um, one of the questions that I think some of us have about this particular style of radio is that, you know, I mean, demographically, it seems to work very well with a slightly older white male demographic. And and that, you know, what we're seeing here in the country uh, is a generation of, of, well, Gen X was uh, politically a little different and not as white as the preceding generation generation of boomers that you just talked about. And the millennials are less consistently white. They have different values. They're not that interested in immigration. They're really interested in college loans and, and stuff like that. So is, is the industry adapting for that or are they still hitting the same bullseye, that 59 plus white male bullseye over and over again? Well, well, that segment of spoken word radio, that segment of radio that we're talking about, news talk radio, is still hitting the bullseye, but is concerned about um, replenishing its listenership with uh, younger demos coming up and expanding its boundaries by appealing to women, minorities, and um, groups other than the horrible, older, angry white men that are talked about as if, you know, they're chopped liver. <laughs> Well, I mean, you know, we're so funny. We're politically correct in this country unless we're making fun of old people, fat people or white men. You can get away with that. Right. But it's something we worry about in in public radio, too. We have a very gray audience. Uh, We're just a lot more popular uh, with with older people than we are with younger people. So we think about that a lot. I don't know Mm. how how well we're doing to compensate for it. But we try to put programming on the air that young people can kind of get into. But I'm wondering how it takes a lot of courage on the commercial side to say, you know what? We're going to have to go after a slightly demographic. We're killing in this demographic we always killed in. But but we can't keep running the same place because we're not going to get five yards every time anymore. And, and I'm wondering, you talked about courageous programmers uh, in the past. Uh, you know, where are those courageous pro- programmers popping up now and finding new ways to do this? On the Internet. <laughs> On the Internet, yeah. <laughs> it's very – there aren't that many courageous programmers in the radio industry right now. And it's not because there aren't talented, bright people who want to do things. The nature of the radio industry right now is, is it's going through a very, very big struggle. Most uh, radio stations are uh, – commercial stations are uh, just absolutely choking. They're smothered in debt that was accrued during the era of consolidation. Uh, they are uh, suffering from budget cuts and uh, uh, tremendous competition from exotic new media in the digital era, uh, cultural divides between the demographics, new habits are forming, uh, and uh, basically advertising revenue has not increased in terms of the total dollars that are available, uh, but the pie is being split into so many more slices, it's difficult to do big-time anything anymore. Everything has become niched. So uh, the problems in the radio industry are such that there's a tightening up, there's a fear factor, people are trying to hang on to their jobs. Uh, And even though you'll hear at every corporate meeting, you know, we should be thinking out of the box, as long as you don't (laughs) fail. If you fail at thinking out of the box, we're going to fire you in a second. Uh, (laughs) It reminds me of the old Mission Impossible. You know, if if you get caught, the secretary is going to disavow any knowledge of your mission. 
So, uh, no, there are not too many brave executives in the uh, radio world at the moment. Yeah, it's sort of like football coaches. I mean, they, NFL coaches will privately confide that everything they know about statistics tell them that they should go for it on fourth down more often. They should punt less often. They should do onside kicks more often. But they can't do that for exactly the reason you're saying. If mm-hmm. they fail, if it doesn't work, they're out of a job in a couple of weeks, you know, because they, they did this radically different strategy and it didn't work that time. Yeah. So yeah, plus, plus the ratings. The ratings are not that accurate accurate. You can't be sure that uh, you're going to be rewarded if you make the right moves. There, there are all kinds of sloshy, inaccurate systems at work as we go through. The big picture here is that we're going through a transition from 20th century media to 21st century media. And um, all of the, the tools of 20th century media are shaky right now. It's, it's a very unstable time on every level uh, for everybody working in the media today. So, Michael Harrison, one thing I'm also wondering about is we we saw a little sort of uh, sunspot activity occasionally w- with some of these shows, especially with Limbaugh, where there was an unaccustomed amount of pu- pu- pushback against certain things that he said. I mean, it's always happened, you know, that he would say outrageous things and people would call the station. But that, that was sort of a white noise, so to speak, in the background. But, you know, the, you know, in recent years, you had the Sandro Fluke case where, you know, there were some advertisers who spooked, who jumped a little bit, uh, who said, wow, you know, I mean, it's one thing to be have some people be mad at you, but we're hearing something else here. And I'm wondering if that's an aspect of 21st century media, too, that once again, the audience is getting a little bit younger. Uh, maybe they're not going to react quite so well to a statement about a young woman using now, the people that have been reacting to the, the, the Sandra Fluke situation are political people. Um, people, there, there is so much righteous indignation that is tossed against political media, and it's from other political people. When talk radio got into bed with politics, it um, it got into bed with uh, scurrilous, knife-throwing, backstabbing, mud-slinging uh, uh, people. It's a dirty culture. Politics is basically disgusting. And um, it comes with the territory. Most of the criticism that you hear of Rush Limbaugh or or any uh, of the political talkers, even those on the left, comes from political sources, not from the everyday public, certainly not from the people that are loyal listeners. And uh, really, the advertisers are savvy. Some people like to advertise on controversial media. Others haven't done it for years. There have been no buy lists all the way back to the beginning of time. Colin, this is a politically motivated diversion from the truth. Um, the, um, the, the other thing I'm worry, wondering about is how much current events seem to drive traffic. Obviously, during the Clinton era, there was a lot to talk about, a lot for a conservative host to inveigh against. George W. Bush got in. People wondered, well, what are they all going to say now? Then 9-11 happened. And in, in many respects, that was, uh, I mean, you hate to think of it as a bonanza, but in, in, it really obviously fired up uh, a, a new audience for conservative talk. I would assume Obama did the same thing. But now, and we're going to be covering this a lot in the second and third segments, now you've got this very interesting picture. Everybody he's following this election, but not following it exactly the same way. So how do you see that playing out on, on conservative talk radio? I mean, right away, there seem to be some some divisions where there didn't used to be. Well, talk radio has never conservative talk radio has never been completely homogenized, monolithic or uh, of the same mind from host to host, just more so than lately. Uh, you know, uh, when you look at it up close like I do, you see the differences. Not to mention, these hosts are in competition with each other. They're not members of the same party or ticket. 
Talk radio is not a political organization. It's a broadcasting organization. Its interests really don't lie in who gets elected. Its interest lies in ratings and revenue. And who gets elected is about as important as uh, what records you're playing on, in terms of music. So that's something people have got to understand to fully understand this picture accurately. Um, so uh, uh, I don't think that um, any of uh, that matters. Uh, what matters is that people are listening and that people are talking about it. Now, this new election, this crazy 2016 presidential election, has defined some of the differences that have always existed among the conservatives. And that is the whole thing that marks conservatism in America is how conservative are you? I'm more conservative than you are. We're really patriots. We're really right wing. We're true conservatives. We're not rhinos, Republicans in name only. Uh, and, and this has always existed. And Trump now has really jostled the fissures and uh, and that unstable situation to begin with. And frankly, it's great. It makes great radio. Again, this is the broadcaster speaking, mm -hmm. not the I, I don't I'm not worried about whether the Republican Party is finished or not. It'll be whatever it's meant to be. You know, uh, Republicans who talk about let the free market determine what will happen. Well, they should think about that in terms of parties. The free market will determine what happens to the Republican Party. But the fact is, it makes for great conversation. And. I would say most of the success that Donald Trump has enjoyed in terms of the free media exposure he gets is because the media is self-serving. I don't care what kind of media you're talking about. The media is self-serving, and he makes great copy. He's great audience bait. Proven. So they keep him around. Um, one thing, I want to come back to one thing that you said because I don't want it to get lost, and I think it's important. I think it's true. I agree with you. I think anybody who worked in this business would agree with you about this, which is this really is about money and it's about numbers. Uh, I remember on one of the several occasions that WTIC canceled my show, there was kind of an uproar and there was a page one story in the newspaper and they were sort of keeping me on in a different capacity and I was sitting in a room with a bunch of managers and executives from the station and they said, well, we're not trying to silence your liberal viewpoint. We don't care about that. And in fact, most of us vote Democrat. We, we, this is just about money. It's just about numbers. You know, and I think a lot of people sort of look at conservative talk radio and think, oh, no, this is like the Koch brothers and a bunch of other moneyed interests trying to control the media so that they can uh, they, they want a right wing message to, to, to dominate the airwaves so that they can further their own agendas. And and I mean, I don't know, maybe that happens somewhere. But but for the most part, Michael, it always seems to me like if I could have made if I could have gotten them, a, you know, a 14 share uh, uh, reading, you know, Noam Chomsky out loud in the air, they would have kept me on. They didn't care what I said. They just wanted a lot of listeners. I'm glad you're saying that because what you're saying is true. And uh, although it's not 100% true, it's 99% true. It's true. Yeah. And and I remember during the days when Rush Limbaugh was on the rise, it was before we had big corporations owning all the stations. We had far more mom and pop owners. And, and hundreds of owners would tell me on the phone privately, well, Michael, you know, I can't stand what this guy's talking about. <laughs> I, I disagree with everything. But, man, is he bringing in the listeners and the ratings are going through the roof. This is great. I'm putting him on. I'm a business person first. Right. It's not the principle of the thing. It's the money. Um, all right. We're talking to Michael Harrison. Uh, he is uh, the voice and face and actor behind uh, and founder and publisher of Talkers magazine uh, on the web at www.talkers.com. You can also subscribe to it if you want. Uh, and uh, we'll take a little break. We'll come back. We are going to. Oh, we are, that's right. We're going to go out. You know, we usually go out with music uh, on every bump. And I thought we should go out with talk radio. We should we should uh, end every segment with a little bit of talk radio. So this is. Uh, 
Michael Savage. Uh, he's one of the maybe occasionally louder voices in, in conservative talk. Uh, he's talking about Pope Francis. He has been selected, hand-selected by the New World Order. He's the first non-European pope in 1,200 years. The same people who gave us Obama gave us this pope. The same people who gave us Obama and the pope are giving the world a good beating. He is from an area where Marx's theory was used to rule over the people. The pope is a danger to the world. And by the way, if he hates capitalism so much and wealthy people so much, I think the Pope ought to begin with an example by selling off some of the great art in the Vatican. What do you think? Because someone wears a holy robe, they're holy? Are you people nuts? How many imams are terrorists? Oh, you're willing to go along with that, aren't you? Well, the Pope is a Marxist. He is a wolf in, in uh, Pope's clothing. So we wanted to do a show about conservative talk radio because, as I said at the beginning, I'm pretty convinced that public radio listeners don't listen to conservative talk radio very much. Um, they probably have a kind of boilerplate idea of what it is. Um, I can tell you that just having worked as one of the occasional liberal, as the house liberal, basically, at an otherwise conservative station, you know there's probably an awful lot more uh, innovation, a little bit more depth and nuance than, than you suppose. So uh, we wanted to, but the other thing is we're, we're just doing these completely separate narratives, right? I mean, you guys are listening to public radio where we say one thing, and there's a whole other audience that never listens to public radio, but listens to conservative talk radio. Here's a very different story. And here in this incredibly heightened and scrambling election season, it just seems like it would be interesting to know how that narrative is playing out there. So we've been talking and we'll continue to talk to Michael Harrison. He's the founder and publisher of Talkers Magazine. You can check it out at talkers.com, but you can't work in the uh, talk radio, commercial talk industry without uh, uh, keeping your eye on talkers. It's what everybody reads. Uh, joining us now is Mike Gallagher. Uh, he's a, the uh, radio host and a conservative political commentator. He's the host of the nationally syndicated Mike Gallagher Show. Before we even let Mike talk, let's uh, let you hear what he sounds like. On a personal level for you, has this been tough to witness? It can't be easy to see protesters clashing outside his rallies. On a, on a personal level, how oh. difficult has this been for you to witness? Honestly, not that bad, especially when I find out that they're being paid by the Soros types of the world and they're, they're getting paid to show up and protest. All right. So that's uh, Mike Gallagher. Uh, first of all, welcome to our conversation. Hey, thanks, Colin. It's great to join you. That was a conversation I had this week with uh, Donald Trump Jr., who was obviously pretty ecstatic about his dad's win uh, in Indiana. I probably should have mentioned that in setting up the clip. So, um, first of all, I, I want to just ask you, um, Michael Harrison and I were talking about this in the previous segment, but obviously this is a very contentious and very different uh, election season, and, and it's probably one where there's a little bit more of a fissure or a schism uh, in, in the ranks of conservative talk radio about how this has unfolded. Maybe you, you can describe it. I mean, are people kind of choosing up sides, Trump, not Trump? Oh, absolutely. And, and I want to just, if, I, if you don't mind, sort of speak to what Michael was saying about the business side of talk radio, because that's an accusation or a claim that has been made uh, about conservative talk radio for as long as there's been conservative talk radio. All these guys 
do what they do for ratings and revenue. And there is no question that that we are, uh, you know, a, a, you know, a capitalist in, endeavor. We work for companies that expect ratings and revenue. And and I, I'm the biggest uh, supporter of Michael Harrison and talkers. Uh, and and my, there's no better ambassador for talk radio than Michael Harrison. And all of us owe him a big debt of gratitude. I would just put a little bit of a caveat to what Michael said about the business model of what we do. Um, I, I, I think it's important not to minimize the authenticity that successful radio hosts have in our business, whether it's you, Colin, uh, from, from the left and, and in an NPR environment, or somebody on the right. I mean, if, you, if you're just doing shtick, for the sake of ratings and revenue, you won't last. And and I can't speak for other hosts in, in my business, but I can certainly speak for myself. If I suffered from a lack of authenticity, if I didn't believe what I said, if I didn't have heartfelt positions um, and, and share those publicly, I wouldn't last. I wouldn't have been around. The audience would see right through it. They wouldn't, they wouldn't give us ratings, and, and advertisers wouldn't provide us revenue because, you know, smart people could see right through it. So I, I just think it's important to qualify that, that business model with an understanding that we have, you know, again, we're, we're heartfelt. We, we believe what we believe, and we're, we were, we're a reflection of the public. Um, you know, uh, there was an old Alan Berg saying, the guy, the, 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 the famous host from Denver who was, who was killed, and, uh, and the play and the movie Talk Radio was made about his life and his death, but the phrase that he liked to use was talk radio is the last great neighborhood, you know, the last great place where you could sit, uh, you know, lean against the picket fence and talk about Donald Trump or talk about Hillary Clinton and, and just talk about what's happening in, in the neighborhood. And so that's the environment we get to play in. You know, I've been blessed and, and privileged to be able to do it since 1978. So I've been around a little bit, know the industry, study the industry. Um, I, I know pretty well about how the other hosts are performing and faring. As Michael said, we are all competitors. Uh, but I just want to make sure that it's that, that for the record uh, that that we remember that that authenticity about our positions. We're not just showmen and 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 carnival barkers who are trying to uh, prop up a business model that flat out just wouldn't work. Oh, I don't think either Michael or I, or I was saying that. In fact, uh, Michael Harrison, I'm sure you could say we've we've heard people try to do that. Yeah, we've no, heard it doesn't work. Mike, yeah. I, I totally agree with Mike Gallagher, and uh, I'm glad he clarified it, because if what I said came across that way, well, I don't want that perception to exist. Uh, however, when you were called on the carpet for not having ratings, uh, they weren't saying that you weren't sincere in your liberal views. No. We're talking. I meant, and, and Mike Gallagher, I think you'll agree, we're talking about the ownership of radio stations. We're talking about the big corporate uh, sure. entities that are bottom line driven. But same thing. Look, if they throw a country music format out and they bring in a rock format because the ratings at country weren't good, that doesn't mean the country DJs and the and the people that were on were not true country music fans. They're just out. Ultimately, um, the bottom line is controlled by those who control the platform and are in the business of the business as opposed to the talent uh, or otherwise. I do want to point out one thing and then get, you know, go back to Mike Gallagher, that Mike Gallagher happens to work for a company that's a little bit different than most of the companies in this industry. Salem Media, Salem uh, Radio Network, uh, Salem uh, Properties. This company is actually, in terms of the bottom line guys, the, the guys that are the corporate guys in this company, are true believers in the philosophy 
that permeates their programming. And that is rare in big business today, in big business, big media. So I, I want to tip my hat to their sincerity and completely agree with what Mike Gallagher said. Let me yeah, just put, before we get in there, I want to just put one more voice into this conversation. Speaking of somebody who works for Salem, uh, Alicia Krauss is also joining us. She's a former senior producer for The Sean Hannity Show. She's currently the morning co-host at, let me get these call letters right, uh, K-R-L-A-A-M uh, 870, The Answer in Los Angeles. Uh, welcome to this conversation, uh, Alicia Krauss. Thank you. It's fascinating. I'm a, I'm a lover of radio and a total political geek, so I love being a part of this. And just uh, to, as by way of introducing you to our audience, let's play a, a quick uh, clip uh, of Alicia. So the Sanders campaign is right-sizing. But he says he's still going to bring the fight to Hillary Clinton, and I keep getting emails saying that I need to donate. Oh, to Bernie? Yeah. At the beginning of an election cycle, I always sign up for all the candidates' emails because I like to see what they send their supporters and their donors sure, and sure. stuff. Yep. He's still going to fight. Bernie is uh, apparently— And it's interesting that he and Trump are allegedly fighting the establishment, but John Boehner just said in an interview yesterday here in California for, with a Stanford newspaper that uh, he would vote for Trump over Cruz, called Cruz Lucifer and an SOB. So I don't know. I thought that John Boehner was the epitome of the establishment, but now he's back in Trump. Well, so. uh, so, uh, Alicia Krauss, I spent some time on your SoundCloud page uh, today, and uh, one thing that I noticed, you know, I mean, one of the one of the raps about talk radio, conservative talk radio, is that it's it's pointed at a male audience that, uh, for the most part, uh, Laura Ingram and a few others notwithstanding, male hosts uh, tended to dominate it. Uh, you've got some really interesting views and an interesting voice. Uh, a lot of times I hear you on with two guys, uh, yeah. just like today, just like now, and <laughs> you're fighting for airtime, right? Oh, it's fine. I'm the middle of three girls, so I'm used to interrupting and working my way in, but I am on the air with uh, our liberal co-host is, ben, uh, is Brian Whitman, and then a, a very conservative guy that your audience might be aware of is Ben Shapiro, who is uh, probably one of the most prominent members of the hashtag Never Trump movement. And so what's your role on the show? Uh, I, I mean, there were three equal co-hosts. It's a, it's a three-part program. I, I bring a different perspective, of course, because of being a female. I'm a millennial. I'm a young mother. I was homeschooled all 12 years. I was raised in rural Oklahoma. But then I, you know, have been in talk radio since I was 18 years old when I started producing for the Sean Hannity radio show. And I was in that role for seven plus years. I've run campaigns. I've, I've done polling and, and consulting. And so there's a there's a range of emotion and experience and, and expertise and opinion that I think that our show has that's really interesting to the listeners. And, and I love it when people call in and, or we meet them at events and they're like, hey, sometimes I disagree with you, but sometimes I disagree with the other guys too. And that dialogue that we're able to have because of our different backgrounds and ages and perspectives I think is crucial. Mike Gallagher, what about this? I was talking to Michael Harrison earlier on the show about this, that, you know, obviously it has been something of a male-dominated medium. It has a certain kind of reputation. On the other hand, um, new generations are coming along. They're different. Uh, they have different values. They have different demographic compositions. Is talk radio poised with people like Alicia to take advantage of that, or are you guys painting yourself into a corner? No, I think it's it's exciting. I mean, Alicia's a great story of, of somebody who really got immersed in the talk radio world working with Sean and then wound up becoming one of the, the co-hosts in uh, in Morning Drive in Los Angeles. It's just a it's a great example of all the different um, the different voices that the talk radio offers. Listen, that there's another rap against talk radio that we're all sort of marching in lockstep. Mm -hmm. The Trump phenomenon as Michael uh, alluded to and, and Colin you've talked about it has been a great example of how we're not all in lockstep. You know, the, the Trump situation 
boils down to, to, you know, you go one of two directions if you're a conservative talk radio host. You're either GOP neutral uh, up to this point, like I was calling myself all throughout the year, or you're all in or all out for, for Trump. I mean, that's just, it's just it's one or the other. And for those of us, uh, Hannity's a great example. Sean and I shared the same philosophy. Why would we be in the circular firing squad and go after any of the GOP candidates with the, the, the intensity that, that folks like uh, that Ben do when that's a big chunk of our audience. We're going to let the voters decide. We want a Republican to beat Hillary in November. So let's sit back and wait for, for the, uh, the primary to play itself out. And that's what happened. And, and so those of us who haven't been attacking Trump uh, regularly, I think, came out of this pretty well. I think the, the, the hosts who have been bashing Trump are now faced with a real dilemma. They've been ripping him and knocking him and saying anybody but. Well, now they're faced with, well, you know, who, who do you support? Do you support Hillary Clinton, who would be, uh, I think, just about any conservative radio host's worst nightmare? But, but Alicia is, is, a, is a great, like I said, a great example of, the, of a millennial and a younger person who, who, who best exemplifies the varied, varied ages and, and genders and philosophies um, and perspectives of conservative talk radio. Now, having said that, there's no question that the success on back to the business side uh, in our in, in radio, certainly in terrestrial radio, has been with conservatives, and it's a fascinating issue. I, uh, you know, NPR notwithstanding, and you guys do great radio, and and, and obviously, Colin, you're an accomplished host. Uh, but but commercial success has largely been limited to conservatives, and you know, there there are as many answers for that. As there are questions, you know, Al well, Franken actually, and Air America tried to launch and they bombed. Let's, uh, yeah, let's spend a moment I, or two I, actually uh, thinking about that. It's, it's something I wanted to bring up anyway. I want to hear good. both all of our guests about this. Michael Harrison, let's st- start with you. This is, to some people, kind of a mystery. Why does this work w- one way and not the other? Why was it Air America a disaster? Why is it so tough to do this from the other political? Well, as, I, I, as much of Air America being a disaster, it wasn't that much of a disaster. It was a business disaster. It was a cultural phenomenon. It it got tremendous amount of attention. It brought to the fore the fact that uh, there is an imbalance in terms of what works and doesn't work in talk radio. But the the real uh, success of Air America, no one ever talks about it. Do you think Al Franken would have been elected to the United States Senate if he weren't on Air America? I mean, come on. I hate to agree with Michael Harrison there, but it's so true. But, I mean, we've seen, let's take HBO's Girls, for example. Lena Dunham is now the It Girl, specifically for, you know, the hashtag I'm with her with the Hillary Clinton campaign and, and lefties abound. But the, the HBO show doesn't get that, that, that great of ratings. Shows like 30 Rocks can get awards, and, you know, they're now streamed on Netflix, and but they didn't get good ratings. So I think that something can be culturally uh, impactful and even politically impactful without even being business you know, minded. And I, and I think that, I think that for conservatives and I mean, look at the sports illustrated cover, that's going to be a nude Caitlyn Jenner to, um, you know, ESPN firing a a pundit for his thoughts on the, on the North Carolina bathroom bill to uh, a show that I'd love to watch and laugh at modern family. Uh, So, uh, so conservatives everywhere. And as a conservative mother, everywhere I come, whether it's from Hollywood or the fashion industry or television or cable or the internet, you know, Buzzfeed, everybody, all these leftist agendas and talking points are coming at me that that talk radio, no pun intended, is my safe space. 
All right, we're going to do, uh, grab a quick break here. I want to, when we get back here, uh, hear quickly from Michael Gallagher, too, about why he thinks uh, this has only worked really for conservatives. Um, as we go out here, as I say, we're instead of playing music, we're going to play uh, some talk radio. This is maybe a little bit more um, obscure, particularly to people on the East Coast. This is the Family Radio Network. I think it's Sandra Rios uh, talking about Beyonce. In Beyonce's case, it's uh, now it's political. I know that Jay-Z is uh, proudly part of a very racist group. And so now, you know, this video that she that they have produced and released, and I watched it. It's just it's just um, disgusting to me. Ugh, it's like you need a bath. What's this beautiful girl doing? Doing this? Why does she have to do this? Why, why her talents in this way? Beyonce and her troupe are dressed in outfits that are like the Black Panthers of the '60s. And could I just say the Black Panthers of the '60s? Yeah, they were black. So yay for that. But the Black Panthers were murderers. So they're dressing like that. They're, you know, she ha- the video shows her standing on a police car sinking. Uh, so it's just in-your-face black racism. Most would disagree it's really black and white. I'm by the minute. radio. Today's show was produced by Josh Nalea and me, Kyone Wolf. Greg Hill appeared in the intro and tweets for us at WNPR Colin. Our interns are Stephanie Reese and Ross Levin. The part of Bill Curry was played by Morton Downey Jr. For show pages, articles, and audio of the Here and Now hosts demanding to see Pat Boone's birth certificate, go to our website, wnpr.org slash Colin. On tomorrow's show, The Nose exposes foodies who don't make fancy recipes. And now... Back to Colin. We've got a whole bunch of other topics for the news tomorrow. I don't want to talk about them now because uh, time is precious. In fact, for once, I have a whole bunch of guests who all know exactly what I'm doing right now, which is working the clock <laughs> as well as I possibly can. So Michael Harrison, Mike Gallagher, and Alicia Krauss are all here. Mike Gallagher, I wanted uh, to give you a chance to kind of finish up that thought. I mean, really, it, it is very uh, difficult and very rare for anybody with liberal politics to do what you do, do it well, and get numbers. You must have a theory about why that is. Well, the the best theory I have is having the benefit of doing this, like I said, since before a guy named Rush Limbaugh even came along. So, you know, I've, I've sort of studied it like Michael and Alicia, love the industry. And, and the best theory I have is that talk radio is perceived as the ultimate outsider media. You know, we it's, it's fair to say that the, the so-called dreaded mainstream media, uh, you know, CBS, NBC, ABC, The Washington Post, The New York Times, uh, they're, they're permeated by people who lean to the left. And so the, the advance and the, and the rise of talk radio, I think, was due largely to the perception that we're on the outside looking in. Now, that hasn't always been the case, uh, you know, in terms of, of, of the, you know, the, the, the access we've been given. And, you know, I was really fortunate to have uh, several Oval Office meetings with President Bush. I, I, it's a mystery why I haven't been invited to the Oval Office in the last seven and a half years, but had a chance to, uh, to, to spend some, get some good access to, to a president and to senators and congressmen. Uh, but nonetheless, I think that, Colin, is the answer, is that we're, we're just sort of the, you know, the outsider, sort of the, the rogue, uh, the, we're the renegades, we're the guys who are on the outside looking, guys and gals on the outside looking in, rather than being part of the establishment mainstream media. And I think that's why talk radio has been so successful for conservatives. Mike Gallagher, thanks so much for joining us today. It's uh, great to have you on. And we should say it was tough to get people to come on. Conservative talk radio people, they don't want to be on public radio. But Mike Gallagher and Alicia Krauss, uh, they agreed to do it. Uh, very, very courageous. So Alicia Krauss, I want to build on what he's saying 
thing and ask mm-hmm. you um, uh, another question, which is I didn't I haven't listened to a whole show of yours, but listening to you and even listening to you talk now, I sense less of the outsider, the sense in, instead of a young person who participates kind of fully in her culture. Maybe she's watched a few episodes of Girls. You watch Modern Family. You know, the, the typical male. I love Silicon Valley. There you go. The typical <laughs> male talk radio show host. He watches 24 and that's about it. Or at least he, he wouldn't admit that he was watching anything else or listening to Beyonce or yeah. anything like that. I yeah. sense that you're trying to say, oh, no, I can be this thing, but I'm not completely estranging myself from all the stuff that 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 regular mainstream people listen to or yeah. watch. One of my favorite things ever is to go to a party with, you know, Hollywood types, uh, A-listers and TV stars and supermodels and then have them be totally stunned when they find out what I do for a living because I'm able to carry on a conversation about how amazing Run the Runway is or how I love to use Beyonce gifs all the time. And I think that um, definitely my upbringing of being a conservative Christian gal that was homeschooled for all 12 years in southeastern Oklahoma is unique, but my parents did an incredible job of, of teaching me the biblical principle of being in the world but not of it. And, and it's not... It's not wrong to be aware, and, you know, as the great late Andrew Breitbart used to say, politics is downstream from culture. And I think for a very long time, uh, conservatives pointed and laughed at Michelle Obama doing the mom dance on late-night television instead of getting in there and realizing that our candidates needed needed to do the same things. Although we really don't want to see Ted Cruz do the mom dance, um, but <laughs> it would be laughable. It would, I mean, yeah, it would get it would get last maybe the wrong kind. So Michael Harrison, you know, I listen to her talk and I think about the image that most people have of conservative talk radio, which is, I mean, if in fact they listen to public radio or they don't listen or or they they just track in that political direction, center to left, they think of it as hate radio, you know, and they think of the worst things they've ever heard about it. But I'm 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 listening to Alicia, and obviously she doesn't kind of come across that way. And I'm wondering if that's part of the future, whether, in fact, you know, the Michael Savages have to give away, give way a little bit to to the Alicia Krauses. I don't know. I think that uh, one of the most hateful things that has ever been said in the last 25 years is calling talk radio or conservative talk radio hate radio. That's a hateful statement. There's very little hate on talk radio. Um, if you want to call what Michael Savage said about the Pope as hate, well, then it's it's your opinion, but it's actually brave commentary. I don't necessarily agree with it, but I'll sure fight to the death for his right to say that. I mean, the, the First Amendment is playing out here. And we're at a time in American culture where we're very quick to call people haters if they simply disagree with us. And um, so I will say, as an expert on this field, there's very little hate on talk radio, left or right, mm-hmm. um, and the use of the word hate, we, we use far too, if you'll pardon the expression, with a, a lowercase l, we use that word too liberally. Um, and although, Alicia, I do I don't know if you get this or not, whether you whether you've experienced this or not. But I, I know people who are who self-identify as liberals who like to I, hey, maybe hate listen is the wrong word after yeah. what Michael just said. But who like to listen, they'll listen to Savage. They'll listen to Limbaugh. Uh-huh. They'll listen to crazies are saying. Yeah. Or maybe just because it's fun in one way or another. Yeah, and, and I think, like I said, they like to do that because it's a change-up for them because every other thing that they in, in, encounter in culture or in media is pro their side. I mean, whether it's Huffington Post or BuzzFeed or, heck, we've even seen proof that Facebook is, is turning down and, and kind of like eliminating the searches of conservative news sites. So, uh, so th- to them, it's kind of entertain- it is that entertainment factor of tuning into talk radio and, and hearing somebody like myself or, or Ben Shapiro. 
Um, and Michael Harrison, I'm also wondering, we didn't we don't have a lot of time to talk about this, but obviously um, the structure of audio media is changing. Podcasts are, are on the rise. Uh, there are just a lot of more a lot more opportunities, A, to experiment, but B, to kind of siloize. You know, I can I can now listen to podcasts that are specifically aimed at somebody like me if that's what I want to do all day. Do you, do you think that changes the picture? It changes it completely. We're going into a new era. And uh, all of these media are 20th century-based media. Newspapers, magazines, motion pictures, uh, radio and television, all based in the 20th century. The biggest struggle they're facing right now is coming to grips with the rapidly uh, evolving world of the 21st century and digital media, specialization, the whole idea of a mass public. You said something before. You said regular mainstream people. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's no such thing as that. What makes you think that people who listen to Beyonce are more regular mainstream than people who uh, like Ted Cruz? Uh, We're a a nation of niches now, and the niches are becoming even more defined as enhanced by the many different media sources we have that cater to specific interests. Actually, you make a great point. And uh, this was much overlooked, but Rihanna did uh, accomplished an, o- an odd thing in March. She had the number one album on the Billboard 200 with the fewest number of uses or buys or listens or streams. 48,000 uh, units moved with the number one album on the Billboard 200. So uh, that's an example of how, you know, what used to be a gigantic phenomenon. You can be yeah, a giga- number one ain't what it used to be. No, not, yeah. it never is. Hey, you guys were great. Thank you so much for spending uh, some time with us, uh, Alicia Krauss, we certainly will keep an eye on you. I think you are on the rise. Michael Harrison, you are the last word about this topic. Thanks also to Mike Gallagher for coming on. Thanks to, for, to Josh Nalea, who called so many different talk radio shows <laughs> trying to get conservatives to come on here and found a few. We were so grateful. Could the Good Shepherds permit Obama and the extreme left that is subvert and literally destroy this country from within? It's a very simple question with very simple, straight answers, and I want the answers from you. Is there no one listening to this show who has been or is in intelligence who is willing to step forward and divulge to us where you have gone and why you keep your mouth shut? Don't you understand you will become the good German? Don't tell me that if you lived during Hitler's time and you heard about the burning of bodies in the gas chambers, you would have done something. He's burning the nation to the ground. He is wrecking everything sacred to this nation and getting away with it without so much as a peep coming from the opposition party because there is no opposition party, which explains Trump's rise. That's number one. And there's no opposition from within the media because there is no media. It's the fifth estate. I got nothing.